Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, if you would, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 today. If you're new with us or if you would like a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. Feel free to stand up and grab one of those. We want you to take that home. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 5, let me, let me provide a review here. For the past several months, we have been studying the life of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is the first sermon that Jesus preaches in Matthew's gospel. It is by far the, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, who happens just to be our, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you look at your Bible, uh, chapter 5 this morning, I'd like to just review what we've learned so far in this chapter before we move forward into this next section. Um, and really what I, do, I want to do here is I want to give you the overall flow of the topics that Jesus preaches on. So if you look at verses 1 through 9, Jesus starts his sermon by preaching the Beatitudes. Uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus, Jesus taught us how to be happy, how to pursue true happiness. Uh, however, these ways, they're not human ways, we learn that. They are heavenly ways. Uh, being poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, humbling ourselves, having mercy on others. These are just a few examples of what Jesus taught about human happiness in the Beatitudes. We learned how Jesus first teaches about character. He wanted to make sure that our hearts are right. He teaches us that we must first be before we can do. And once our hearts are right and our conscience quickened, then he prepares us for the outcome of the Beatitudes. Jesus said that the result of finding true happiness uh, comes with a price. And it's a price that nobody wants to pay. If you look at verses 10 through 12, we see there this is insults and persecution and slander. Enduring the trials, enduring the hardships in our lives, what it does is it proves something. It, it proves who we say we are, first as Christians, and then we grow up to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus then confirms this newfound identity as disciples in verses 13 through 16. Jesus tells us who we are, and he used the illustrations of salt and light to convey that message. Jesus told us that we are the preservative for anything good in the world. As disciples of Jesus, we are the ones who restrain evil. We are the light in the world that's full of darkness. So in other words, we have the truth, and the, and the truth is what sets people free. So once Jesus gets our hearts right... He provides a new identity for us to work in, and then Jesus tells us who He is in verses 17 and 18. 
Jesus reveals his identity by affirming and confirming the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. Jesus says, you know, that you can trust the Bible that's in your hands. It is absolutely trustworthy. Jesus also clears up all the rumors about who he is and what he's doing. And he did that by not giving more laws or or teaching something new. He did that by upholding the law of Moses, this Mosaic law. Um, He teaches what should have been taught from the very beginning. And then through the prophecies, or through the prophets, he fulfills all of those prophecies as well. We learned how Jesus is the theme of the entire Old Testament, right? We witnessed how Jesus is nearly on every page of Scripture, and how he came to fulfill every law. Not only by human works, but also by his divine nature. And after Jesus taught us about the, the reliability of the Bible, he then taught us about the reality of heaven. We asked this question. We said, how do we get into heaven? And most people say, well, you got to be good, right? And then we discuss, what does that even mean? What's your definition of good? Is it Mother Teresa good or is it Billy Graham good? And, And we discovered that as good as those people are, all the good that Mother Teresa, all the good that Billy Graham did... Um, Their goodness is not a substitute for God's demand of of divine perfection. So how good do you have to be to get into heaven? Uh, Jesus told us in verse 20 from last Sunday. He said, for I tell you, he says, unless your righteousness, so unless your holiness, unless your goodness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Oh boy. You will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, if your life is not more productive than Mother Teresa and and Billy Graham combined, you're not going to heaven. Uh Uh-oh, is right. How good do we have to be to get into heaven? We have to be perfect. We have to be Jesus Christ good. In fact, Jesus tells us that in Matthew 548. We'll get to that here today. He says, you got to be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And we say, time out. Too late. We think to ourselves, right? Hang on, hang on, Dustin. You know, I've lied and I've stolen and I've taken the Lord's name in vain. And that was just before I got here to church this morning. (laughs) Right? In the last hour, I've broken three of, the, of, of, of God's top ten. And don't even get me started with I, what I did last week. You know, I'm not perfect. But you know what? I, I've never murdered anybody. And surely God knows that I'm human. And he knows that I try. He, he knows that I try really hard, right? And that should count for something. Right? I should count for something. And it's right here, guys. It's right here at that thought. I've never murdered anybody where Jesus picks up his sermon. Today, Jesus makes another shift in his preaching. It's almost like he knows that we're not going to believe him when he said you got to be perfect. 
So today, Jesus, what he does is he peels back the layers of this illusion of the goodness that we have of ourselves. In the following 20 verses, Jesus exposes what's deep in our hearts. We hear this all the time, don't we? Uh, Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Hmm. Today, Jesus is going to show us that is awful advice. Just awful. Now, before we dive in here, I do want to make a disclaimer. Typically, what I, uh, what I would do is I would take the next section of Scripture and I would explain it verse by verse. And I do this because Scripture tells us that we experience God by knowing His Word verse by verse. Uh, it comes from the prophet Isaiah. I've showed this to you before, but I want to show it to you again. Isaiah twenty-eight thirteen. This is so cool. The prophet says, the word of the Lord will come to them. How? Law after law. Law after law. Line after line. Line after line. Just a little bit here. A little bit more over there. And that's why our our mission statement is stapled to the foyer wall. It says experiencing God. Well, how do you experience God? How? Verse by verse. Now, why do we want to do that? We want, to, we want to learn, we want to experience God verse by verse so that we can share Jesus day by day. And that's what we're, that's what we're all about here at River Bible Church. We, we want to make disciples, disciples make more disciples, and thus we, we fulfill the Great Commission. But as I was studying this passage, I noticed that Jesus does something staggering in, in throughout the rest of chapter 5. And if we, don't pull, if we don't pull back just a little bit, if we don't get a bigger picture here of what Jesus is saying in, in his full context, we may miss it because we, we got ourselves tangled up too quickly in the details. And, um, and I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that everybody's on the same page here before we dive in. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an overview of the rest of chapter 5. It's a large text for us today. It's over 20 verses, verses 21 through 48. Jesus covers a lot of material in this one setting. He talks about murder and adultery. He discusses divorce, truth, making promises, and then finally love. But before we get to those specific topics, because those things are weighty, those things are serious, right? Um, I want to provide this high-level overview of, of all of that. Because if we don't understand the context, if we don't understand where Jesus is coming from and then where he's leading us to, then we're going to dismiss his words. We're going to miss the overarching uh, theme here of forgiveness. There's there's an overarching theme of forgiveness um, that is so critical to our lives. And if we don't understand what Jesus is saying, um, we're going to miss the application of it as well. I don't want us walking out of here feeling guilty, condemned, confused. Um, Jesus, he must give us the bad news before he shares the good news. So that's that's where we're headed today. And then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to start diving into those, those six topics. So with that disclaimer, if you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. 
Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if, you're, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, well, leave your gift there in front of the altar. And first, go in and reconcile with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, well, gouge it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oaths, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by the earth, because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you can't make a single hair, white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will, that, will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and your sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You got to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And this is the word of the Lord for us here at River Bible Church. Please be seated. Thank you. 
One of the overarching themes of this particular text is, is personal relationships. And we see a rhythm here to Jesus' sermon throughout this entire section. Six times Jesus says, you have heard it said. And then six times Jesus quotes scripture from the Old Testament. And then lastly, Jesus says, but I tell you. He says, but I tell you. Jesus then goes on to preach the Old Testament itself. So, so the question is, okay, what's Jesus doing here? We see the rhythm, but what's he really doing? He says, you have heard it said, which brings up two more questions. You have heard what said and by whom? Well, we know what he said. He said, do not commit murder and do not commit adultery. And then the other four issues. That's what Jesus said. Now, I do find it interesting here that Jesus doesn't say, Scripture says, do not murder. He doesn't say, Scripture says, do not commit adultery. So Jesus is not focusing so much on Scripture, but who said what about the Scripture itself. So Jesus today, he is focusing, well, actually for the next six weeks, he's focusing on the Bible teachers of the day. He's, he's focusing on the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, so for the next six weeks, we're going to see Jesus teach the truth about the Old Testament and, and why he quotes certain texts. Why does he do this? Well, because the Bible teachers of Jesus' day, they taught the Word of God incorrectly. And if that wasn't bad enough, the people in the first century, they depended on these teachers. Uh, a lot more than, than the way that we rely on our Bible teachers today. And the reason for that, for that reliability in the first century, is because they didn't have a Bible in front of them. And if they did, they couldn't read it. They, they couldn't read the Hebrew Bible. After the Israelites returned from their captivity in Babylon, they no longer spoke Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. So the Jews, they depended entirely on these scribes and these Pharisees to teach them the word of God. This is why Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. So in other words, this is what you've been hearing. This is, this is what you've been told. And then Jesus says, mm, but I, I tell you. Jesus is telling the disciples that they've been lied to. Intentionally or unintentionally, they've been lied to. Jesus bypasses the human interpretations. He bypasses the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he takes everybody back to the basics. So let's look at his first example here in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Now we all know that. And that's why we hear so many people compare their goodness to mass murderers, right? That's pretty low bar, <laughs> right? I know I'm not perfect, but you know, I haven't murdered anybody. Look what Jesus does with that. Verse 22, he says, but because you thought that, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. In other words, you also are going to be guilty of sin. We say, time out. Is Jesus saying that because I've been mad at another person, I've just been mad. No, maybe no one else even knew I was mad. 
that I'm also guilty of sin? See, Jesus is not creating a, a new standard of the law here. He is teaching the law's true intent that was given to Moses from the very beginning. The scribes and the Pharisees, they incorrectly interpreted the law. Here's their mistake. The law of God does not start with action. Breaking God's commands doesn't only deal with our behavior. The Bible teachers of the day, they read God's law as singular, isolated statements. They didn't teach that God's laws overlap. They failed to teach people that God's laws are interconnected. Remember the, the illustration a few weeks ago? We said that each law, for example, in the Ten Commandments, is like a, it's like a chain. They are linked together. And when you break one of those laws, the chain is no longer good. So you break one law, you've broken all of them. So, for example, yes, the law says do not murder and do not commit adultery, which are both external behaviors, but the law also says in Exodus 20, verse 17, we are not to covet. In fact, we're not to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting goes directly to the heart of the matter. When God says don't covet, what he means is don't, don't desire. <laughs> Don't even think about it. Don't wish for it. Don't long for it. What someone else has is theirs. You don't worry about them. Jesus is teaching us that God's law has always stressed the importance of dealing with our hearts. And that's why it seems so odd here that Jesus is raising the standard, but he's not. The scribes and the Pharisees, what they did is they ignored the heart issue. They didn't deal with the motives. They didn't deal with our agendas. Why? Because religion is much easier than a relationship. This idea of religion, defined many, many ways, right? Religion in the sense that this is a mechanical form of worshiping God. So in other words... Hey, man, just give me a to-do list. You know, I can knock those things out and I can get this whole God thing over with and then I can move on and get to the really important stuff in my day. That's religion. And it's in the to-do list to where we've been taught, you know what, as long as I don't kill anybody, I'm good. And Jesus says, you've been lied to. And a primary reason that so many of us as a culture, why we are so unhappy, why we are so depressed, why we're so angry is that we haven't addressed the true condition of our heart. The law doesn't start with our actions. It doesn't start with our behaviors. God's laws start with our thoughts and our motives and our attitudes. See, the whole purpose of the of the law is to, is to show the sinfulness of our own sin. And it's right here that I wanted to just pause because if we don't understand, if we don't recognize, if we don't deal with the sinfulness of our own sin, we're never going to grasp the reality and the consequences of what Jesus says here in his sermon. Many of the problems that we have in our personal lives in our own families, within the church, are because we take little time to study 
and to meditate on the sinfulness of sin. We don't comprehend the condition of our own hearts. See, we've adopted this, this idea of cheap grace. That's okay, God will forgive me. That's all right, God, I'm forgiven. But see, God knew that, that simply giving us a list of things to do was not enough to know him. God knows that knowledge and facts about himself, that is a, that's not enough to fix the condition of our hearts. Why? Because of the sinfulness of sin. Jesus is teaching that holiness is not only a matter of what we do or don't do with our hands, but it's also our hearts. And to understand the beauty of the gospel, guys, we must understand the actual problem. For the good news to be good, we must first, we must first wrestle with the bad. See, today's problems don't have to deal with politicians or inflation. God, he calls our problem a heart problem, and it's called sin. And that brings us to key point number one. Sin is to ignore and defy God's law. Sin is to ignore and defy God's law. You may have heard sin defined as missing the mark or missing the mark of perfection. But let's what does that mean? We've missed the mark, so what? What's it mean? Let's, let's dive in here. Sin is a total disregard for who God is. We first learn about sin shortly after the creation of mankind in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate from the tree that God told them not to eat. They ignored and they defied God's command. And when they sinned, they ran from God. Guys, they hid. They tried to withdraw themselves from the presence of God. That is so sad. I think Genesis 3.10 is one of the most disturbing verses in all of Scripture. Adam and Eve, what they tried to do is they tried to physically conceal themselves with these itchy fig leaves from another tree. That's a good idea. They wanted to be left alone. And don't we all, after we sin, don't we just want to be left alone? See, Adam and Eve, they ran from the sunlight into the darkness. They, they wanted to keep their actions a secret. Why? Because sinful actions have major consequences. So, of course, they hid. They willfully, consciously rebelled against a holy God. He is the supreme being of the universe. Yahweh. Adam and Eve did the one thing they were, they were not supposed to do. The one thing. They had one tree out of the whole planet. And we go, thanks. Thanks, guys. Messed it up for everybody. This deliberate and conscious choice to eat from that tree that God specifically told them not to eat from, that is an example of sin. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. It's called the fall of mankind. So by its simplest definition, just sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. And here's the thing. Adam and Eve, 
the, the first sin didn't come from the actual eating of the fruit. Their sin came before that. And that's the key that unlocks the power of Jesus' sermon here in the Sermon on the Mount. Key point number two. Sin is a decision we make before the action we take. Sin is a, de a decision that we make before the action that we take. Their sin came from their personal decision to rebel against a holy God. But once that decision was made, it was, it was only then that their behavior followed. Head? Heart, hands. When we make a conscious decision, our heart either confirms or rebukes that thought, and then, and only then, does the decision manifest itself in, into our hands, into our behavior, into our actions. See, if we don't understand the sinfulness of sin, if we don't understand the depravity of our thoughts and the motives of our hearts, we're not going to understand the rest of the Bible. And we certainly won't understand Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We cannot understand the solution to the problem unless we understand the problem itself. We cannot understand the cure to the problem unless we understand the diagnosis. So, the world is trying to put a band-aid on a terminal problem of the heart. The, the world is busy asking the wrong questions. And when you start with the wrong questions, you will always get the wrong answers. So let's, let's address what Jesus says is the real problem here. Due to Adam's sin, human beings, that's you and me, we are born rebellious. We have no choice in the matter. Scripture confirms that to be true. Psalm 51.5, King David writes this. I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So Adam's sin has been passed down to all of us. This is called inherited. It's called original or ancestral sin. Uh, and the easiest way for us to understand this kind of rebellion is to simply just kind of hang out in a room full of children. My office in Phoenix used to be next to a preschool. One day I was walking back to my truck, and I heard this from the playground. Johnny, don't even think it. About two seconds later, I heard a little girl start to cry. Evidently, Johnny hit this little girl... He threw something at this little girl, or maybe he, he pushed her down, specifically after he was told not to. Now, why did he do that? Did someone teach him that? No, Johnny made his decision because of inherited sin. Just as God told Adam not to eat from a specific tree, Adam did it anyway. Just as Johnny was told to leave the girl alone, he refused. He rebelled. See, nothing's changed from Genesis chapter 3. Selfishness and violence are the fruits of the fall. So all that to say this. We are born morally corrupt because of Adam's original sin. And we think, hang on, that, hey, that's not fair. Man, I wasn't even there. Well, fairness is another sermon for another day. 
There's no doubt about that. But let's talk about our personal sin. So that's ancestral, original sin. Let's talk about our own personal sin. If we're born rebellious because of inherited sin or original sin, then we will make choices in our rebellion against God through personal sin. And it's through God's lens of purity and perfection and holiness that we have to hear Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount here, to understand his message fully. Long story short, not only will we recognize that we are sinners, but prayerfully will come to a new awareness of the depravity of our decision-making. And it's in that awareness that will bring about repentance in our lives. See, it's, it's, a, it's in understanding the bad news where we can comprehend the good. But in the culture that we live in today, a false teacher says that man is basically good and God is whatever I identify him to be. Right? God is just, a, he's just like me, but just a tad more moral. So false teachers, guys, they have a wrong view of God today, just like the scribes and the Pharisees did back in the first century. So that brings us to key point number three. A false teacher's view of God will lead you to a wrong view of sin. A false Bible teacher's view of God will lead you to a wrong view of sin. This is why we see Jesus railing on these scribes and and these Pharisees throughout all four Gospels. And it's also the reason the scribes and the Pharisees killed him. See, a false teacher says that man's most significant problems come from outside of himself. A false Bible teacher points to social issues and political differences and socioeconomic factors and all these education elements and all these race theories and blah, 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 right? Dear friends, that's what's called the social gospel today. But God teaches the very opposite. Jesus doesn't put an adjective before his gospel. It's the gospel God teaches through the scriptures here that man is fallen. We are fallen creatures because our hearts are morally corrupt. So, dear friends, we are all a rebellious people. And I say that because we don't need a false Bible teacher telling us that we're not. And that's why Jesus makes the correction here in scripture with the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus, so Jesus makes that correction there. We're going to get to all of that uh, starting next week. But look at this. Second Peter, the main man, the apostle Peter, look at what he says about false teachers. He says, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct. They are born to be caught and destroyed. Wow. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Jude 10, but these people scoff at things they do not understand. You guys see the 
the sim similarity there? Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. So all that to say, once again, please be very careful who you're listening to. On YouTube and social media. Jesus teaches us here that we are disobedient. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We are stubborn. We are pushy. We are rude. We are presumptuous. And we are arrogant. As fallen human beings, we love unrighteousness. And we demand autonomy. You can't tell me what to do. We are born demanding freedom. We are hostile towards anyone and anything that just even hints at taking away the illusion of the freedom that we have. What are the two, the two first words that children learn? No. Mine. They're so innocent, aren't they? Yeah, right. Who taught them that? <laughs> Nobody. You guys see the sin nature in, in ourselves? You see that? Just as dogs bark and cats meow, sinners sin. Scripture goes on to say that sin is an abomination. That word abomination is probably the most appropriate word for sin. It means foul, vile, disgusting. <laughs> and we think, hang on, all right, Dustin, come on, man, time out. Are we really that bad? Are we really that bad? If not, if we're not this bad, why would Jesus preach on these things? So guys, look, <laughs> if you're new to River Bible Church this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here. <laughs> I pray that you came today wanting to know the truth. And a truth that is not mine, but a truth that is revealed out of Scripture. The Apostle Paul says this about us. He says in Romans 3.12, everybody's turned away. Everybody, all, all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is, there's that word, good. There's no one who does what is good. Not even one. So the question becomes, well, all right, that's the bad news. How can I be made right with God? Is it by keeping all of these laws that Jesus points out? Well, it can't be, right? Because no one's ever done it. We were created to have a relationship with God. We are designed, we are meant to love God. And for the next six weeks, this is going to be really interesting. We're going to see God's love as Jesus teaches us a standard that we can't keep. No person can look at the rest of chapter 5 and survive the scrutiny of God as he peels these layers back on the depravity of our hearts and our minds. Jesus' sermon is meant to do one thing. It is to drive us to our knees 
in gratefulness and thankfulness and in worship. It is to reveal the power of the gospel, and here's the key, through the forgiveness that is provided by Jesus Christ himself through a blood-stained Roman cross. So next week, we're going to learn the power of the gospel through the forgiveness of anger. If you struggle with anger, and maybe you don't even know why, you're not going to want to miss next Sunday. God's word is about to free you up. Amen? Amen. 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 Father in heaven, thank you for allowing us to gather together to sing praises to your holy name, to open up your word, to proclaim your truths. Thank you for allowing us to serve and to give and now to fellowship and pray for one another. Lord, I pray that you would continue now to press into us with the sinfulness of sin. That, that you would show us where you're working and that where you're working, is, it's a place for us to let you in and, and for, for us to allow you to love us like we've never been loved before. Thank you, Father, for this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.